Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now, we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Goes, hi, you're listening to the movies that made me. Uh, this is our first two part episode with Scott Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were kidding. It wouldn't cost you anything, and it's really, it's one of the best gags in the movie, which, which of course they hated and wanted to cut out. But um, they, they said, no, they didn't want to do that. They said, you're lucky we left it in. And I, and I am lucky. Yeah. Uh. You know, they, you know what they said? They said, well, if they think the film is broken, they'll leave. I said, oh, oh, these okay, people just yeah, paid okay. money to see a movie. And, and for, sure. for, for, for 20 seconds, they think that the film broke, and then they realize it didn't, and then it's a laugh on them, and they'll, I guarantee you they'll laugh. They said, well, all right, we'll try it. And we, of course, it was the big hit of the previous film. They're always wrong. Do you know the film actually burned once? Um, Fight Club at the, uh, at the Arclight. Actually burn. Actually burn. Yeah, it was some. Wow. That in, in that movie, how would you notice? Exactly. <laughs> I. Um, speaking of Larry Cohen. Well, we uh, were gonna. Yeah, I think we're gonna talk a little. Say bit something. About uh, some sort of... I was in the Sci-Fi Academy. Uh, he had made um, Full Moon High, which I don't think I don't think it got released. No, no, it was released. Was it released? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, he. Well, when he brought it. My memory's that well, the story is he brought it down. I think we were at the Gordon on La Brea, mm-hmm. and halfway through it shredded, oh. and it's just like the lights come up, and it's just it's just it's ugly. And he's in the audience, and he turns to all of us. He says, "For what it's worth, that's the only print in existence. <laughs> <laughs> it's my print." <sighs> well, this must have been some years after it came out. Because it came out in 81. Yeah. Maybe it was a couple years later. Oh, it must have been later. My memory... Because it wouldn't have been the Gordon. The Gordon always was running old. Well, no, this was part of the Dr. Reed. It was a Dr. Reed screen. Yeah. But my memory was it was a film that had never shown up, and it was a special treat. He was going to bring it down for us, because no one had gotten it. Well, it might not have been released in L.A., but it it, it was released. Okay. Shot on VHS. What? No. So, yeah, I mean, I, want, I, I said, I tweeted today, but it was so true. I mean, the thing with Larry that always knocked me out is like the rest of it. I mean, you're, you're a screener. Tell me I'm wrong. We've, we've all had ideas like, hey, let's set a movie in a phone booth. And then you get, <laughs> you know, five minutes into thinking about it. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't figure out how to sustain that. And Larry's the guy who would have the idea and then sustain it and then write the thing, and then it would be good, and then he'd get paid, and it would, I mean, that was the amazing thing. He just had these ideas that he just... Do you know Larry started writing for television when he was like 16, 17? Of course. Years. Oh, episodes, yeah. of, uh, episodes of television. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was so prolific. Yeah. Um, he had his first TV show branded a series, that's, which he, yes, cre- that's right, which he right? created. Yeah. And, he created. And he, was, he created it and, and produced it and wrote most of them, and it was uh, like, he was like 24. I mean, I always thought he was a lot older than me because I was so young when I yeah. watched Branded on TV and I figured, well, oh, this guy must be a regular old guy. No, he wasn't. Um, he wrote the body of the series, dude. That's being Lebowski. That's the, the writer is the writer on Branded. He lives in North Hollywood on Radford near the In-N-Out Burger. Oh, the In-N-Out Burger's on camera. Near the In-N-Out Burger. Those are good burgers, Walter. Shut the fuck up, Donnie kid is a ninth grade dude and his father is are you ready for this hmm. his father is arthur digby sellers who the fuck is that huh who the fuck is arthur digby sellers who the f- 
Have you ever heard of a little show called Branded Dude? Yeah, yes, I All know. but one man died there at Bitter. Yeah, I know the fucking show, Walter, so what? Fucking Arthur Digby Sellers wrote 156 episodes, dude. Huh. Bulk of the series. Oh. Not exactly a lightweight. No. I, I forget. Are you, on, are you on Facebook? Uh, I have Facebook, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't well, somebody else does it for well, me. Well, let me just show you what I, what I put up just because it's so cute. Because I had my own little Larry thing. <laughs> I never met him, but oh no, no, no! But it, it's 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 good. It's good. It's good. So for you folks at home, he's going through his phone. Yeah, right he's now. looking at photos he's on his telephone. This on is his wait, did the show start? Professional podcast. No. The, show, the show's always started before we start. We're recording. We're yeah. always recording. Well, yeah, we're always recording. Watch we want to get say. you like. We want to get what you what say. The... Was yeah, no, don't bitch. worry. We we didn't. We he weren't recording when you were bad mouthing Larry Karasuki. Well, I was just going to let you read this and then see. Look at the pictures. Well, I I I. It's, you can read it out loud if you want. It's oh, you did, did you put this up today? Yeah, okay. Oh, read it out loud. This and is then Scott, you can describe the pictures. This is Scott Alexander's uh, note on on Facebook. A sad day for all lovers of Gonzo batshit crazy pulp cinema. Goodbye to the wonderful Larry Cohen. His work was so creative, satirical, and nuts. As a kid in the Sci-Fi Academy in the 80s, I got to see him do a hilarious Q&A for the stuff, Q, special effects, full moon high, rollicking stories of vanishing money and desperate improvisation. He pumped out a million other screenplays for pulpy, snappy B pictures like a throwback to the 1940s writer, bestseller, maniac cop, phone booth, so many enjoyable, clever pictures. Plus, I have my own ambulance. Plus, I have my own little Larry Cohen story, a tribute to his resourcefulness and scramble. When I was a child in L.A., we had a milkman, Mike the Milkman, who delivered for Carnation Dairy. One day, Mike was driving on his route, and a film crew flagged him down. Hey, milk guy, you want to be in a movie? So our milkman got murdered by the baby in It's Alive. Oh, yes! <laughs> and and along with this are actual photos of the, 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 the That's truck. That's Mike. The truck with Mike and all the milk coming out of the back, and of course, it turns into blood. Yes, that's that's a that's a wonderful story. I don't know why I made you read it. We I could can put I could just read it up on our site. Yeah, this is just screen grabs. We occasionally, we occasionally do uh, have. I don't know aids. if they taft Hartley Mike. They have visual aids. I'm sure oh, they didn't not. taft. He didn't have. I mean, I love, you, you know, <laughs> he didn't have any dialogue though. So I think you can get yeah, away with that. Be all right. But he had to act. He had to act like a milkman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can't do that. He shouldn't be a milkman. The um, I I mean, there's so many. I, I love the uh, I love the uh, um, Black Caesar stuff where you know they're shooting that insane car chase on the sidewalks with no by permits. just shooting an insane car chase on the sidewalks without any permit with no permits. And then wow. like a cop comes up, wants to know what's going on. Fred Williamson gets out and he's like, "Hey, Fred Williamson." He's like, "Yeah, we're making a movie." He just lets him go and they keep doing it. I when mean, when just, Landis was shooting uh, Trading Places, he, uh, he had all the cops that were, you know, his movie cops all disappeared. And he didn't know, he was in New York. He, where where'd my cops go? Well, they all went to the Chrysler building because there was somebody shooting off machine guns at the top of the Chrysler Don't building. Cue. And all, the, uh, and all the, the shells were falling down the street. Oh, my God. And he was shooting, he was shooting <laughs> Q. Today, he'd be a terrorist. He'd be in jail. He'd be in jail. <laughs> but he, he did this stuff and he fed the crew. His wife made the made the the food for the crew and he just showed up and shot and, and left and i mean he was a, a gonzo guy i mean at the, at the time q might have been my favorite it, it, yeah. ha, it had this level of ambition to it and it was out of its mind can i i saw q i saw this on a show before i think i saw q in the um 42nd street grindhouse theater in which there's a scene in the movie when the thing flies over and picks the girl off the uh, the roof in her bikini and flies over the city eating her. People come running out of the theater that I was watching Q in. That's get great. And I was like, yes, that's great. <laughs> that was fantastic. The 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 um, that, 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 those opportunities rarely happen. I mean, I went to a, an anniversary screening of Blazing Saddles a year ago. Mm. At the Chinese. That's where I saw. That's where I saw Blazing Saddles. Yeah, with, with, the, with the movie, they all run out of the oh, Chinese. Oh, it's so great when Harvey Corman comes running in and the crowd just goes nuts. <laughs> You're inside the movie. Yeah, exactly. Or God, my my um, the uh, the uh, it's oh god, I wish we'd had Larry on the show. That's well, we tried. We did. We tried. He we was, tried. He was. He wasn't well. Enough. He was not well. The um, uh, back in my my first career, I guess as a writer of shitty straight to video movies in the 90s i was hired you always to, call them shitty you don't have to no other people could do that they were pretty <laughs> shitty i mean they're there you know um but i got hired to adapt a book uh 
that, I mean, you realize that, that everybody, you know, everybody comes to material through various means of vetting things. You don't just pick up a shitty looking book in a bookstore. You know, you, you read books by writers you like or that friends turn you on to. So this was literally the worst book I'd ever read in my life. And I had to adapt it for these guys. And it broke me. It just killed me. It was the worst experience I ever had as a writer. And it was the moment where I said, I'm done with this. I don't care if I starve to death. I am I am going to sell the script to the studios. I'm going to make like real movies. I'm never doing this shit again. And luckily did. But the one that just made me walk away from it all, that killed me, um, finally got made a couple years later. And hilariously, a really good friend of mine uh, was kind of a mentor to me, a guy named Randy Frakes, who I had written with before. We never got anything made. They went to a whole series of writers. And by the time they were done, they went to him. And he was the guy who actually managed to salvage something out of my script in this shitty book and the movie got made and it's the only credit the only time we got to share a credit was okay. my friend randy and i but but the thing that made me feel so good because i'm sure you've done you know you something breaks you you're like there's something wrong it's got to be you feel terrible as a writer when you fail even if it's something like this and i found out from randy that they had gone to larry cohen at one point and larry couldn't crack it and i thought fuck I feel fine. If Larry Cohen okay. couldn't turn this thing into a passable movie, sure. I'm my hands are clean. I went to Larry on a picture called The Sixth Day, which oh, I, yeah. which I was uh, talking about directing, and uh, the script needed a lot of work. And so Mike Medavoy was the producer, and I talked him into using uh, Larry Cohen because I had known Larry, and you know I thought he, he was a good idea guy, and he's he, and Larry was very good at coming in and solving problems. And, and what I didn't realize is that Larry completely threw out the entire script and mm -hmm. wrote a completely new script with a different premise. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and oddly enough, the next person I went to was John Sales, who, who did exactly the same thing. So as you can imagine, I didn't end up making that picture. Uh, that's weird. I, it would never occur to me as a writer to do that, to, to trick the employers. Well, I guess it's an opportunity. Well, I've always wanted to write this. Now I have an opportunity. Somebody's paying me money. I'm going to write this. Or maybe they had a script log around. They just changed the title and didn't do fucking anything. That's really. <laughs> but we have. <laughs> but you, yeah. you have been once again derelict in your duties. What? Oh, we haven't done the intro. I was also going to say. I hope Don doesn't mind because we normally open up with his fantastic music. I thought we'd probably open up this week with uh, James Brown's "Down and Out in New York City," the amazing theme to Black Caesar. Uh, if, if you don't mind us talking about Larry Cohen a little bit okay. on your, on your dime, Scott, I'm still not clear if the show has started the show, the show started hours ago. You never know when the show has started and you also never know when it ends. Yeah. <laughs> you never know when it ends. Yeah, man. Like, you know, I was born in New York city on a Monday. It seems I was outside to shoot by two to noon. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. When the cold wind comes, it lives in New York City. But we are here with uh, a young man named, I don't know why I'm doing this. Are I don't you know looking why I'm, at my name? I'm, I'm looking to make sure I'm getting everything right. I'm like, I, I've known Scott for a thousand years. To me, basically, really all that matters is you wrote Problem Child with uh, Larry Karaszewski. Again, thank you, Josh. <laughs> I love that film. Josh, um, the, the, I talked about this with Larry. The guy who programmed us in a double feature of Problem Child and Ed Wood. Yes. And and one of you, I get was it you or Larry actually went, Oh, it's not as bad as I thought. Did, I guess Larry you don't like Problem Child. Um well, it, it played really well that it night. Played so well that it's night. a very popular yeah. movie. Yeah. Can you say now in front of everyone, Josh, you were right? I can say the the, the movie the movie works for its intended audience. <laughs> Um, we also, somebody suggested at one point, one of your gremlins that we should do t-shirts for the show. And it would be like the movies that made me and there'd, there'd just be a list of 10 and it would say, you know, what's your favorite movie? And number two would be filled in. It would say Ed Wood because everybody brings up Ed Wood That's on nice. our show. That's and, very nice. That's and, true. uh, Scott, Scott wrote that with, uh, Larry Karaszewski. I mean, 
I'm not going to look at this. People versus Larry Flint, Man on the Moon, People versus OJ. Um, you're doing, uh, are you guys doing the McAfee movie? Is that, is that McAfee's supposed to shoot this summer, but we don't want to jinx these things, do we? No, we, okay. never, we never Fantastic. Do. My, my favorite and, and Twitter we got, account. And we've got Dolomite coming out in the fall. And I was going to get there. Oh, I was going to yeah, get fine. there. you got Dolomite, which is amazing. I can't wait to see that. The Rudy Ray Moore story. The Rudy Ray Moore story. Um, uh, McAfee, I'm psyched about as well, because I, do you follow his Twitter account? Uh, no, it's too exhausting. He's he's running for president. I mean, well, he's be, a, he, I, he, John's always running for president. But I think it would be fantastic if your film came out in time to give his his candidacy a boost because uh, I think we need him. Well, if we shoot this mm. summer, it could come out twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I think that would be. It that could push be, him over the top. I, you know, Joe and I were talking earlier. Like, what could possibly be worse than Donald Trump? <laughs> Do you know this guy? There's an amazing documentary. Um, what's it called? Uh, Gringo. Gringo, I think it's on Netflix. You can see all about John McAfee, and he is—he is. If anyone was put on this planet to to be biopicked by you guys, uh, <laughs> it's McAfee. And can't wait for Dolomite. People versus OJ was insanely great. I mean, what am I leaving out? What uh, uh, Ed Wood? Ed fucking Wood. Anyway. Great screenwriter here, Scott Alexander. Thanks, buddy. Um, and we've really used up all our time talking about Larry Cohen, so we'll uh, have you back another time. <laughs> Damn, I, I, I really over-prep for this, and I'm, I'm never going to get to the sheet. <laughs> um, Scott, Scott, uh, Scott is a, a fan of uh, movies. That's no. why he's here. No? No. <laughs> Uh, uh, Aren't we all? Yeah, well, apparently not. I, I got a very nice email back from a potential guest uh, the other day. He was like, I just, I really don't like movies. So I was like, okay. How did, uh, you, how did you arrive at this particular guest? Uh, Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, she's like, he'd be a great guest. Oh, well. It's a novelist. He's like, I, he's like, I like books. Um, what are you going to talk to us about, Scott? <laughs> uh, you're putting me on the spot now? <laughs> yeah, we're on. It's you. We're okay. recording now. <laughs> Am I supposed to do a certain number? I mean, I know 10 is the round number. Well, I, whatever makes you happy. I tried to hold it to 10. Put it this way. Well, when, when it gets boring, we'll stop. That's all. And so not only that, there's not a, this show doesn't exactly have a structure or a form. No, no. I was just or listening, rules, listening to, the, to the Landis one where <laughs> it, it, it's announced as a, as a musical show. And yeah. <laughs> you guys might have mentioned seeing it in the rain at one point. <laughs> Well, John, sort of, you just wind them up, and yeah, and we, 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 every so often we like to do an episode where we can save our vocal cords, and yeah. that's usually when we invite John. Very popular. I, I was, I was impressed by how many people came on and said, you know, I wish they were all this long, which was interesting. So, you know, do whatever. It's you a lot do. of people who don't have; they seem to have a lot of time on their hands. Start talking. We'll come back in. We'll check, see how you're doing. If it's good, we'll let you keep going. If no, but you're doing um, okay. Um, okay, I, well, I, I'm trying. I mean, because I, you know, we all have our list of favorite movies, and I. First, yeah. I thought about that list, and I realized a lot of those movies post-date high school. And so, in terms of the movies that made me, they, I'm really trying to hold it. There's a lot of elementary school favorites, junior high, and then a couple high school favorites. Well, and so, it, it kind of, I think all my titles those stop. Those lasting on, appeal. Yeah, and, 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 and they make a big impression. And so, I don't think there's any titles I saw after I was 17 or 18. Hmm. Excellent. Uh, um, and I was born in 63 and so, um, came of age in the seventies. And so as I promised Josh, the, the focus today is seventies comedies, a lot of, a lot of broad comedies, which I love, love, loved. Uh, it was also the golden age of car chase movies Yes. and practical car chases, no special effects, just mm -hmm. stunt coordinators who are out of their minds doing really dangerous stuff in public places. And I, those movies made me so happy. And so I, I've got a lot of car chase movies to talk about. And, 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 and the sweet spot is when the car chase movie is also a comedy. Right. Um, so do I just start talking? Yeah, just, yeah we're, we're just, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I mean, have you arranged them any kind of order? Do they build anything? Well, is there a, it kind of, Oh, shoot. It's an overriding I'm, theme. Well, I'm leading off with my favorite movie of all time, which well, I'll find. Should, should, do you want, I think you should end there. Sure. No, God. No, but then I, but, but then I have some, what he wants. Then I have some tangents. So, okay, well, let's just start with tangents. Lord. Tangents are us. Yeah. Let, I'll start with my, my, my favorite movie, which has always been my favorite movie, What's Up, Doc? This is San Francisco, the city chosen by one of the most brilliant and sensitive new generation of filmmakers, Peter Bogdanovich for his maiden comedy effort, 
What's Up, Doc? Starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Where are we? I can't see. Well, there's not much to see, actually. We're inside a Chinese dragon. Any experienced observer of shooting techniques will quickly sense the utterly new and different atmosphere created on the Bogdanovich set. No more the crass showmanship and slapdash of the old Hollywood. This is a perfect film. With car chase. Which ends with a big, big, fat San Francisco car chase. San Francisco. That can't be duplicated How because they broke all the rocks on that. San Francisco. The 70s I, I, in San Francisco. Yeah, I have some theory that, that people in Hollywood wanted to destroy that city in the 70s. <laughs> and there are so many movies where you where you just it's just see destruction of, of every major thoroughfare. I don't know what we had against San Francisco back then. Uh, What's Up, Doc? is such a confident movie that it does not have a score, which is really weird. And well, you know, uh, his first movie, Targets, doesn't have a score either. Is that true? Yeah. I, I forgot that. Yeah. Oh, well, comedy, I mean, comedy so often, you know, has a little bit of Mickey Mousing or, yeah. or okay, this, this section's running slow, so let's, let's put a bit of a pulse under the scene. Let's, let's push it along and, What's up, Doc? It just has so much silence. Just people sneaking up and down hallways in that hotel and running into closets and jumping under beds. And it, and the the only time you'll hear music is when the elevator door opens and there's music mm-hmm. inside the elevator. So, I've never noticed that. I love that film too. But you're right. Yeah, and it feels like it'll be a natural for like a kind of Henry Mancini sort of score. Of, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean. The, the screenplay, uh, Robert Benton, David Newman, Buck Henry is perfection. Bogdanovich's direction is just so perfect. Every performance, just up and... I mean, Streisand has never been better. She is so endearing, so funny. Sexy. Sexy. Um, the time she seems to be doing her own stunt work. I mean, there's that opening scene with her running across the street and... And she's jaywalking, and two cars smash just inches behind her. I mean, uh, I think it's Madeline Kahn's first movie, mm-hmm. and was her first film. And she's she's just so spot on. Oh, she's so funny. Yeah. Um, I so admire the craftsmanship of the screenplay. There's it's got so many moving pieces. It just it builds and builds. It it doesn't fudge anything. Every everything adds up. Um. Well, I was, I mean, like, as a kid, that was my introduction to that kind of film, you know, because we didn't, and oh, I, yeah, I just that, remember discovering that there well, was this was whole a, genre He was a big fan of screwball comedies. Yeah, and, but I mean, as a kid, to have seen this movie and go, oh, I've never seen anything like this, and then find out there was an entire genre. Right, well, it's a tradition, I mean, but he, films, but he was sort of updating it, and Bogdanovich's yeah. uh, movies are interesting in that they, they all, uh, you don't have to know about old movies in order to enjoy them. Because he pulls the tropes out so well and yeah. spreads them out, but it 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 really does make them richer if you know where he's going and what he's what he's quoting from. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is it blasphemy to, for me to admit that I actually prefer What's Up Doc to the originals, to Bringing Up Baby and the, the thirty screwball comedies? No, you can, you can say what you want. Is that okay? It's, it's, it's yeah, I mean, I go country. back to it more often. I, some of it is just you know when you grew up too. I mean, there's always that thing that you know was uh, yeah, I, the the world was best when I was twelve. That that is true. Um, though it's a laugh machine, and uh, my 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 kids have seen it many times at the house. I've taken to see it mm. in theaters, and yeah, that movie is just ninety five minutes of laughter. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just so rock solid. I I worship it. I worship it. I I lost touch with it for many years, and then you know I skipped an iteration. I you know see it in theater, see it on TV, see it on VHS. Didn't see it on Laserdisc or DVD, and then Blu-ray came out a while back. You know, there's that gap <laughs> sure. of two media. And then watched it again a couple of years ago, and I've since seen it about three times. Cause well, it's it was so- one of those movies that I, I always had within arm's reach because when it was on Z Channel, well, I grew mm-hmm. up in Los Angeles, so I was privileged to have Z Channel as a kid. And and then we had early VHS, and so I had I always had a half inch of what's a doc I could cheer myself up with. And then I had the laser disc and then I had the DVD, you know, I've, you know, this if, is what they want. They want you to keep buying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, you, you know, it yet? we should, we shouldn't forget, you know, uh, Ryan O'Neill, who doesn't always get his, his due is one of the, mm-hmm. the greats. And I mean, between that and, 
Paper Moon. He's just so wonderful. And his, I mean, his crack comedy chops, What's Up Doc, are just perfect. I, I always think about him when I or my friends um, bag on contemporary actors because I remember at the time, I mean, we're about the same age. And as a kid, it was like he he got no respect, Ryan O'Neill. And he got no respect the way a lot of young actors get no mm-hmm. respect today. But I think a lot back. of that had to do with Love Story. Well, sure. The, fact, story, that, the fact that he was the lead in Love Story was sort of yeah. just set him up as a target. Yeah, yeah. But he was, he was pretty, too. And he was pretty in a way that was not, at the time, considered manly, I guess. And now you look at him and it's like, yeah, I completely buy him as a tough guy. But he, he's enough of a mensch that he, the, yeah, the, the oh, closing gag of the movie is making, making fun of Love Story. Yeah. yeah. The stupidest thing I ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, I'm sure they just like, ambushed him with that on the set and he went along with it. I wonder what he thinks of that film. I would hope he loves has it. He ever, has he ever t- no love story. I mean, oh, that film. I, I, it's the movie that put him on the map. I'm sure. He, yeah, I, you know, he was on Peyton Place for years. That was right. his other thing. That's right. But yeah, great movie. Great movie. Great, great, great movie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um, what else you got for All right. Uh, and a similar... <laughs> now, we've, now we've established... Similar for... silly early 70s vein. Let's go to... Let's go to the in-laws. He's a dentist from New Jersey. Oh, good. Make a house call? Yes, one of those emergencies. He travels a lot. On business. Hello, yeah. I work for the CIA. He's got a successful practice. Mr. Hershon, I cannot work this way. He's got a dubious past. You were involved with the Bay of Pigs? Involved? That was my idea. In 48 hours, his son is marrying his daughter. Could I borrow you for a couple minutes? What's five minutes for a member of the family? Where are we going? Just over to my office. I want you to break into my safe. And what happens in between will bring them together. For better? Did we hit the little boy on 6th Avenue? Or for worse? No, I'm not him. Uh, He's my in-law. Look, here's my card. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, what a funny movie. And I I wasn't really prepping for the show, but I just rewatched it, showed it to my kids for the first time. Oh, they were howling. The movie kills. Yep. Um, uh, Written by Andrew Bergman, directed by Arthur Heller. Who, actually, he's, he's got a couple movies on my list here. So he was always easy to kick when he's down, but Arthur Hiller made some funny shit. He did. Uh, oh, my God. I mean, and, and Larry and I like to talk about the Andrew Bergman uh, format because we're under the impression that he wrote a lot of movies that had this format, but actually there's only two, which is The In-Laws and, and The Freshman. But it's it was very influential on on us uh and i think influential on a lot of other movies which is this idea of the straight man who's being paired up with a guy who may be a liar and he and he can't tell if the guy's a liar and we can't tell if the guy's a liar and he and the way peter fox just keeps reassuring alan arkin through every stupid scene that happens this this was my plan don't worry this is this is what's (laughs) supposed to be happening and and Oh my God, is Alan Arkin a funny man? Uh, what do you guys think of The In-Laws? I haven't seen uh, it in years. I it's very funny. I fucking love it. Um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're two for two with me. And I actually I just showed it to Nancy about a year ago. And, and you know, comedy is a funny thing to watch at home in a small, like with two of you. Um, you know what I mean? You, well, you don't not, get a lot It's not of, quite the same movie you know, with an audience. And we were both well, you, just, have put, you have to put a few kids in the room. Yeah, and no, I'm sure. We were both howling. I mean, just laughing loud. She's She's upset. You know, again, she came very late to the film, and like everyone now, you know, there are situations you get into, and her first, the first thing she'll say is serpentine shell, serpentine, serpentine, serpentine. Uh, also, just do another tip of the hat to what what life was like pre CG, and when directors had to be really clever. There's a great fucking shot of 
it's a point where, for those of you who haven't seen it, where Alan Arkin is this neurotic New York dentist who just gets pushed to the edge of sanity, and, and he starts doing stupid things because Peter Falk is breaking his head and he can't even think straight. And at one point, he's running across, it's like running across the top of a building and then leaps onto a taxi cab. Yeah. And it's all done in one. And you're on Alan Arkin. And if you, if, if you, if you go, you know, get your DVD and you, and you go frame by frame, you will see that Alan Arkin, it's tracking with Alan Arkin down the building. And then he runs behind a pillar. And then the stuntman came running out from behind the pillar, perfect timing, and then jumped onto the cab and the cab screeches away. And it's magic mm. because you, you are seeing it happen in front of you. Uh, and if it were a CG effect, it wouldn't have been as funny. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah. yeah. That was a beautiful Criterion Blu-ray of it too, which is I love when they do that every now and then because I, you know, comedy. I don't need to tell you, comedy never gets the respect it should. And every now and then, there's like a, a fully well, think, loaded. Think, criterion. think about the Oscars and how many comedies ever win Oscars. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, I love that film. Uh, when when we rewatched it, and and then it starts to move into the the Richard Libertini third act. I I started to have a bit of a oh god, okay, th this is where the movie just starts to get kind of muggy and silly for no reason. But it's so, it's just, the Libertini scenes are so bizarre. Yeah. Where where he's the head of this country, and I'd forgotten that he has, has all these black velvet paintings well, of, of naked women. A naked woman in himself. The, <laughs> in the, the palace. Oh, yeah, it's the flag it's the, of the country. It's the flag is black velvet. with a Yeah, yeah and it's just so gonzo. I was like, all right, fine, <laughs> this is funny. And he's doing the little Senor Wences. Senor Wences. He's out of his mind. <clears throat> it works. I, I'm, I'm with you. There is always that moment when you get to that, that part and it's like, oh, it's going to get ridiculous. But it, it does. But it it works. How did the Senor Wences uh, stuff go over with your kids? They were laughing. It's just, it's just so weird and and just, uh, silly. just uh, you don't have to get just because it's weird, not because it's they weird get, for they for, get. for those of you on in podcast land. Uh, Richard Libertini, who's the who's El Presidente of this Banana Republic country, just ha ha his best friend is his little man he makes out of his hand, <laughs> <laughs> who talks to him, who talks in a funny, high and gives voice. him advice. Kiss, kiss, makes him kiss Alan Arkin. Oh, oh yes, and I mean, just to, to make Alan Arkin, Alan Arkin can just keep doing. That 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 constipated face, like mm -hmm. what are, what am I supposed to do right now? And it just he, he, he can make that face over and over. And I laugh every time he does I, it. No one does beleaguered like like Arkin. <laughs> I mean, just think about how many movies he's just put upon and, and he's well. Actually, he's there's a lot of repeated people on my list here. Alan Arkin is going to show up later. Uh, this afternoon in uh, Freebie and the Bean. Oh, okay. I was going to say Freebie and the Bean, Catch Twenty Two, or which, which is another where I'm. I'm stuck in a car with a crazy person, and this person is driving too fast. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so glad Alan Arkin is still around, just pumping out yeah, great he performances. He works a lot. He just—I haven't seen the show yet, but he's got that Netflix show with Michael Douglas. Supposed to be excellent. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't. I, I wanted to love it. I wanted to love it. Did you see it, Joe? Too contemporary for me. Yeah. yeah. Only I mean, it's, it's about Alta Cockers. <laughs> but yeah, freebie is is I saw that once. Um, it played at the Egyptian in the you know. Theater. Oh, I, I was there. Were you there? And it's like I made a point of bringing everybody I knew had never seen. It was it. like five years ago. It was packed, and it played like you know. I, if they ever tested, I, I, I doubt a, I doubt a test screening of like Lethal Weapon played this good back in the day. It was just it played beautifully. People were losing their minds. I mean, it would be so entertaining. It's so entertaining. It's out of so its mind. Offensive. offensive beyond belief. So tasteless. The the car chases. I mean, there there are scenes where they they just seem to have put a a camera mount on the hood, and they're just driving. They're just driving into people who happen to be out on a Sunday afternoon in, in a plaza in San Francisco. These don't these don't look like extras. They look terrified. And then it, and it's got the world's greatest stunt where the car drives off a freeway into an apartment window. Yep, old couple in bed. Old couple in bed. Uh, again, it's another one of these. Again, with my Andrew Bergman format, though this is an Andrew Bergman, which which is uh, a. a a crazy guy. I mean, yeah, actually, actually, I'll take that back. This is the. This is more. This is more. Yeah, it's buddy cop. This is probably the movie that invented the modern buddy cop film. For sure. I, I can't think of one that comes before it. 
that had this much impact. Um, you know, Alan Arkin's trying to be by the book and James, James Kahn is nuts and he's just always driving too crazy. <laughs> and all my memories of that movie are them, them in a car. Mm-hmm. Running, just doing horrifying, violent things to criminals. And I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd how well it plays considering how utterly reprehensible they are. Yes. <laughs> and, and you're with them entirely. And I, I maintain that um, the whole thing a couple of years ago when the, the right was freaking out over uh, transgender people using bathrooms. I, I think it's because some crazy old right-wing congressman saw Freebie in the Bean because um, James Kahn gets a living shit kicked out of him by a, a transgender hit person in a bathroom. I, I mean, is he in a stadium? It's in a stadium, yeah. 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 So what do you think of the chances of that script being made today? Ne- zero. Absolute zero. And you couldn't, and I mean, Alan Arkin plays a, a Latino. Oh, that, um, yes. And, and, uh, or as he says, Chicano, I guess. And, well, uh, that, well, that's why Bean. Yeah. He's a Beaner. Yeah, he's, he, yes. Old it's school parlance. so offensive. All that they're throwing on. And, um, uh, uh, his wife is, uh, what's her name? Rhoda. Um, Valerie, Valerie Harper. Harper. Valerie Harper playing his. his Valerie Latino. Harper also, uh, renowned as a Latina actress. <laughs> a Latina, yeah. The famous Latina actress. Um, and then just the, the language they use, it's, it's a deeply, I mean, the characters are deeply racist. Um, the film seems to know how awful they are, but, uh, oh, I did. <clears throat> yeah. You couldn't possibly make it today. Um, and, and again, I, I have, I have repeated people who just keep turning up. Uh, Richard Rush has two of my favorite movies that are on this list. Oh, I know. I know what and, the other one is. Yeah. And, uh, he's so great and his filmography is so frustrating. Yeah. Because it took him another six years to make a film after Freebie and the Bean, which was this massive hit, and it was so influential. And then, you know, then then we had Super Cops, and we had we had a million of these movies after Freebie and the Bean. Yeah. I mean, Joe, do you? I don't no, know. So, I do don't you know, know what hit. happened. I don't know well, what happened. I, I, I don't know what happened, but I, I I can imagine that that wasn't the only project that he tried to get off but the ground. Six at all that years. Time. Well, yeah. you know, it happens. And yeah. when he finally, you know, made another movie, it it was you know financed by a parking lot magnate. Melvin Simon. Yeah. So, oh, right. Yeah. Then, that's right. And then somebody got murdered. And... Yeah. I, but why wasn't he just pumping out studio hits? I, I. Well, maybe he didn't want to. Maybe he just wanted to make movies his own way. Oh, my God. He's so great. He's so. You going to talk about that one now? Or well, gonna... I just, I, I'm having, I'm incapable of staying on on topic here. And I've. I've uh, perfect I've, guest. Yeah. Perfect guest. <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed Have to listen to the John Landis episode. Yeah, exactly. I, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to build up to freebie because I, that's like the culmination of, of all these. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, it is the best one of these car chase pictures. Um, I don't even know what to do now because I'm, I'm, I'm just like completely <laughs> discombobulated. Oh, okay. I'll go back to, I'll go back to the beginning. Uh, one, one of my earliest movie going memories is, uh, again, I grew up in LA. And so my parents took me, I'm going to guess it was the 1969 reissue. So I'll say I was six reissue of Mad, 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 Mad World at the Cinerama, mm-hmm. the theater, which was built to play that film. A United Airlines jet lands in Los Angeles, launching the biggest entertainment airlift in motion picture history. The world's press, some 300 newsmen from four continents, arrive for the Hollywood premiere of Stanley Kramer's There's a certain amount of money buried down in this park. Now, I suggest that we quietly get into our cars, and then when we get down there, we dig up the money, providing that there is some money there. There's only one way to figure it, and that is every man for himself. And, and, I, and I've seen it since then at the Cinerama at least five or eight times. So you, you're one of the, you love it. I, I love it despite the fact that it's not that great. Okay. All right. Well, it has, it has a cult following. It makes yeah. me so happy. It makes me Doesn't, happy. Okay. It makes me smile. Anytime, anytime Buddy Hackett, Phil Silvers, or Johnny Winters are on screen, I am laughing my head off or I just have the biggest smile on my face. There's a lot of other scenes. Uh, Sid Caesar in the hardware store, which is just ag- agony. And how many times we cut back to that hardware store. But Mad Mad World has so has so many funny bits of whatever. Phil Silvers and Jonathan Winters and the, and the girl's bicycle. It's so funny. And Cause I, I, got, I got all hopped up on whatever, you know, the, the la- who we talked about with somebody recently. And I was like, God damn it, I'm done. And I bought the Blu-ray and it showed up the other day. And and, and by the time it had arrived, I, I was no longer hopped up. And no, no, you have, I, it's, you have to see the movie as 
was yeah. just I mean, as recently, Scott. You have yeah. to see it in the surround the dome, dome with the crowd, and it's is, always there. Which, and they run it out frequently because, yeah. as he said, it was the first. Uh, it was the first one that wasn't a three projector, Cinerama yeah. um, thing, and because uh, the dome was actually built for three projectors, but yeah. by the time you know it was finished, they had phased out the whole idea of three projectors, and so they had the one big wide screen curved. And uh, the thing that's amazing about that film is um, that the cast in that movie is all people who made, who became famous for other things. Mm-hmm. Well, they're primarily nightclub guys. They're, they're all, they're nightclub guys, they're vaudeville people, they're radio people, they're, you know, pe- people who had careers, long mm-hmm. careers. I mean, Jimmy Durante's in this movie. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, and there's a, a wellspring of affection that the audience has for all the characters in this movie because of the actors, because they, they've grown up with these actors, they sure. love them. Uh, and, and even though the movie still plays well today for kids who don't know who they are, yeah. uh, various attempts have been made over the years to try to duplicate the idea of doing Mad Mad World, but there's no cast that they can have together that resonates the way that those people do when they're all together. I mean, the, though the, the, the delight of the movie, I mean, I, I went to the, the 55th anniversary screening, which made me feel really old. Cause I was at the 25th anniversary <laughs> screening. Uh, so it was, I don't know, six months ago or something. And, um, and there were even it, some people alive and, and they weren't running it. They weren't running it in 70 anymore. It was, it was a, it was a, 4k hd oh. and i was like really and i i i know michael schlesinger and i sort of said really he says trust me it looks better world's biggest world's of course mad, mad, of course mad, mad, his purpose mad. in life is to watch mad mad world and uh i think he was right there are worse things in no way. That's, at least he knows what it is i i've seen the film many times in the dome and it looked it looked really good and a lot of parents had brought their little kids and it was just so nice to hear those little shrieks of laughter <laughs> all, all through the theater. And these little kids do not know who Phil Silvers is. Right. But they, they're just giggling. Yeah, they don't bring the good word. Uh, I mean, some, some of my favorite trivia about that movie, uh, like you know, Joe was talking about, uh, you know, the dome was built for this movie. The dome was built in four months, which if, if you've ever been in the Cinerama Dome, is just mind-boggling how this is possible. But they, they had to back... They had to reverse engineer the opening day of the dome to be the opening day of the movie, which is just so s- stupid. And and uh, at this last uh, anniversary screening, they they ran some documentary footage, and the cast was actually doing PR events in the construction site, which is just <laughs> so weird. It's like what what kind of a cross promotion is this? And it's it's footage of of Mickey Rooney and Stanley Kramer and Phil Silvers. Like with hard hats. With hard hats on. <laughs> and, 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 then the, and then there's the press, like, you know, behind the rope, you know, throwing out softball questions. And, and you can see dump trucks in the background. It's just so weird. Um, uh, another great thing about that movie, I, again, the, the car chases. And this, you know, this, I, I said the golden age was the 70s, but, you know, these stunt drivers in 1963, my God. Uh, Stanley Kramer shot the car, all the car footage first. Mm. Uh, because he, I don't know if he wanted to get out of the way or he just wanted to go have fun first. And so, um, well, I must've gone to some anniversary screening with Stanley Kramer was still alive. So he could tell the story, but he, he described basically putting together a 20 minute highlight reel and then showing it to the whole cast the night before they started shooting, basically saying, this is the movie you're about to make just to sort of get them in the mood. That's nice. And so he, he knew that was, that was the gold. I mean, oh my God, so, some of the some of those stunts are so out of their minds, and, and all, all those all those narrow mountain roads, wherever the, wherever the hell they were driving, um, you know. And then again, for any LA people, and then you've always got that shot when they when they make the U-turn onto the California incline, and everyone breaks out in cheers. The former California, the former, incline. yeah. Now it's ruined. Sad, for such such a long time, you'd be able to go there and you'd say, "Oh, that's where Spencer Tracy stands with his walkie-talkie." Not anymore. Well, it's, everything changes. Well, Joe, it's still it's still there. It's just they it's just added not a, the same. They added a bike lane. Everything's and, there, but it's not the same. I know they broke it. Uh, I, I also uh, when I was a kid, this will this will also show up later in this podcast if I ever find a through line. <laughs> uh, I love stop motion animation, yeah. and um, I some, somehow as a child I, I became aware of this great effects guy named Linwood Dunn. 
who I think goes back to King Kong in 33. And uh, he did, he did the climax of the movie. Uh, If you watch the movie carefully, all those, when all the guys are up on the ladder. Well, that's Willis O'Brien. The, um, the stop motion stuff was done by Willis O'Brien. In King Kong. Yeah, but he also did. No, he's dead by then. No, he wasn't. What? He was still there. Yeah. Well, Lyndon gets the credit. Well, he worked on it too. Okay. I, I, I did not know Willis O'Brien worked on that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's good to, good to learn that. So, in 62. Who did? Willis O'Brien. Oh, okay. Well, they just got him. Yeah. He just slipped through. <laughs> so, uh, and it's, and it's uncredited. It's so beautifully done it is all the wide shots of, of, of the, the plaza with the hook and ladder and the guys on at the top are all miniature and it it's miniature, but then Lynn, Lynn Dunn is doing optical effects to put the real crowd at the bottom of the frame. And I guess Willis O'Brien is animating the spinning ladder and it's just, and the people, because half the people half the time they're actually just animated models, which goes back to King Kong where a lot of times when Kong's eating somebody, it's like, it's a, it's sure. a, it's a puppet. Sure. Um, there's, there's also, uh, there's also a, a great rumor that, um, and this would be the the best collectible in the history of show business. Uh, all of the, each stuntman up on that ladder, they made a rubber face. So there was a rubber Buddy Hackett, a, a rubber Dick Sean. Oh, wow. Well, you can really see the rubber uh, Spencer Tracy in the running scene. Yes, because he couldn't he couldn't move. And I've always thought, why doesn't that show up on eBay? Yeah. Buddy Hackett's, Buddy Hackett's face from Mad Mad World. <laughs> if I could just have one of the guys who was on that ladder. <laughs> Some Arabian prince is hoarding it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I've heard the stories that There's Spencer a Tracy... movie for you. What? The, the guy with Buddy Hackett's face. <laughs> 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 Running around chopping people up. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that I, I I love that movie, and again, seeing it at the age of six on that giant screen made a monstrous impression on me, uh, which probably kicked off my love of of, of crazy car driving. Hmm. Um, yeah, I I came to it late. It didn't it didn't get me in time. I'm afraid. Um, let's see here. I just, they're just looking at me funny. Um. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll, st- I'll, st- I'll stick with I'll stick with car chasers for a little bit. Uh, I, l- I love the movie called The Gumball Rally. All right, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. Come on, Mama. Fasten your seatbelts and get ready for fun. The Gumball Rally has begun. Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. Go! The Gumball Rally. An all-out. Anything goes. Absolutely illegal race. Really? Yes, well, really. Um, and Michael Sarah's in. Michael the great Michael. My Sarazen. beloved, uh, my beloved Michael Sarazen. I I don't know why I was so fond of this completely forgotten '70s actor. Yeah. Reincarnation of Peter Proud and yeah. Caravans. Yeah. Uh, and the TV Frankenstein movie. Well, the TV, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, Gumball Rally uh, is the movie that invented. There's going to be a, a cross country chase, and let's all drive fast. Mm-hmm. And it's Michael. Is that, that's the first one. I think well, that's the first one. there's some. some oh wait, is Gum- some discussion about whether Death Race 2000 came before that. Oh. Um, and and then there was Cannonball, which was definitely the same story. Right. And that preceded the Cannonball Rally movies. Right. There, Cannonball with, Run with the with the um, the Rat Pack guys. Yeah, though what's weird is I I I was just watching the because it was trailer. a real it was a real race that they really did a cross country race. Was it real? Yeah, yeah, but with Cannonball that's an actual yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, for me, the one with Michael Sarazen and Raul Julia and Susan Flannery is the real one. See, none of the other ones have, have that Michael level of star power. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's it's perverse that everyone else is like, no, it's the the one with the. Uh, uh, Burt Reynolds and Sinatra and Dean Martin. That's that's a good one, but I like the cheap one. Um, Jackie Chan. Jackie, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan. Is he in one of those? Yeah, he's in uh, Cannonball. Or is it Cannonball Run Two? I can't keep them straight. He's in. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole thing because he was coming over here the first time he came to America and never quite took off because they put him in terrible movies. He had the big brawl, and then yeah, which is not good. And then they and then in Cannibal Run two, I guess they had him fighting, but he was fighting on sand, which is really tough to do if you're 
Jackie Chan, you know, a guy who's <laughs> that graceful because it's hard to fly around. So he didn't. And then he went back to Hong Kong and became the biggest movie star in the history of Yes, the, he did. And then came. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, he's in Campbell Run 2, I believe. Yeah. But as Jackie. I mean, maybe I was just being perverse as a child because, um, you know, mid-70s, you had all the Hal Needham movies. Yeah. And Hal Needham was a stuntman who made some of the biggest hits of all time as a director with Burt Reynolds, Smokey, Smokey 2, Hooper, Hooper and and the Cannonball Run films. And these movies are beloved. And I, I enjoyed them, but I don't know why. I treasured my my little gumball rally that was more special to me. Well, some movies just hit you at a particular yeah. time and, and they hit in a, in a way that, you know, lots of times you're the only person who really is the, the champion for this movie because it didn't hit anybody else the way it hit you. Okay, now in, in terms of my repeated motifs, um, there's a guy who shows up in three of my movies here. Lots of and, and he's the director of Gumball Rally. Do you know who it is? No, but, oh, oh, is it, oh. And what's crazy is he shows up as a director, as a stunt coordinator, and as an actor. And it's not Hal? It's not Hal Needham. It's not Hal Needham. It's a guy named Chuck Bale. Oh, who's this I didn't unsung know Chuck, Chuck directed that picture? unsung hero and co-wrote it? Huh. <laughs> so the, the, he was a stunt, no tour. It was a stunt man <clears throat> who moved into into directing, um, and he directed the my my sweet little gumball rally. Um, he is the stunt coordinator of Freebie and the Bean. So I mean that that that's the money credit, right? The guy the guy who did just let's just drive a car into innocent people and see what happens. That was Chuck Bale. <laughs> Uh, and then he shows up uh, years later as an actor in The Stuntman, playing the stunt coordinator. Playing the stunt coordinator, sure. For yeah. Richard Rush, of course. For Richard, for Ru Richard for Dick Rush. Dick Rush, yeah. Yes. So um, no one out there in, 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 in movie land really knows who this man is, Chuck Bale, but he's, I guess he's got to be one of my personal heroes just because he was such an integral part of three of my beloved movies. I'll do it. That's and he's still alive. I I, I I looked him up. He's he's got a horse ranch somewhere. You looked. I mean, have you have you met him? Have you no properly? Uh, no, no. I haven't. I haven't been able to. So genuflect. he bailed on movies. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, he did a lot of TV. Manimal, Knight Rider. Yeah, he moved into one hour eighties TV. Well, that's that's where <laughs> as a director. That's where he made his money. Oh, Baywatch Nights. You guys know Baywatch Nights. Oh, if you're looking him up, what's the name of his character in Stuntman? Uh, let's see. As an Look actor. him up as actor. And um, uh, because it's like he's doing a sideways version of himself, which is just really silly. Plays Chuck Barton. Chuck Barton. Chuck Bell plays Chuck Barton. Yes. Uh, Baywatch Nights was because Baywatch was such a hit show. They wanted to do a spinoff, and it's with Hasselhoff. And the premise of the show is that he is a a lifeguard by day, and then by night he's a private investigator. He never sleeps. And, Apparently not. And the show didn't do well in the first season. So in the second season, he he started investigating paranormal activity. So, <laughs> and and I'm that guy who like I would it just bothered me because he never mentioned during the day, you know, when he's at his day job that he had spent the evening fighting werewolves. It just never seemed to come well, up. Well, they don't come out in the daytime. You'd think you'd mention <laughs> that to Pam Anderson when you're at your other job. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just getting this look from okay. Scott. <laughs> we'll be back next week with part two of Scott Alexander's <laughs> incredible journey through the movies that made him. Say, Joe, looks like we've got a few minutes. You want to check out the movies that made me mailbag? Gosh, that sounds like a wonderful idea, Josh. Nat Segaloff, the great biographer, uh, has asked. Oh, That's a good question. I know Nat. You know Nat? Yeah. Oh, okay. Has he written your biography yet? No. Oh, okay. Well, I don't him. expect him to. Did a great, great book on Friedkin. <laughs> great book on my friend Harlan Ellison. Uh, Nat wants to know when was this is a good question. When was the first time you saw the wires? That is, when was the first time you realized a movie was manipulating you, and how did this affect your appreciation for film? Uh, if he means literal wires, well, <laughs> that would probably be War of the Worlds. Um, oh yeah, good call. Um, first time I knew that I was being manipulated. Um, I'm drawing a blank. I mean, I, I, I never, I never felt manipulated. Well, I think I, this is not quite what he's looking for, but as a kid, um, we would go see movies 
you'd show up for the film you wanted to see and sometimes it was sold out. My dad and I would just go to the theater next door and go see something else, even if it had already started. Because mm. they would start the next show five minutes later and then we'd stay for the beginning. And I'm sure I do it in a lot of films. And the one, I've talked about this film a million times, but the one that made me see the wires of narrative was Charlie Varick when we came in about 20 minutes late, watched the film, thoroughly enjoyed it, and then watched it the first 20 minutes again. And it was the first time I realized that someone had built this, that what was happening on screen was not just a random series of events that were being made up as they went along, that they were in fact laying in all these various and sundry little keys to what was eventually going to happen. And I think that was the first time I fell in love with the idea of actually constructing a story. Well, that's a profound moment, but it's not a moment that could be repeated today because you couldn't go into a movie. Right, they won't let you. And they wouldn't let you stay for the beginning (laughs) over again. (laughs) I almost feel like if you could teach a film class by doing, I did that with a sting as well, which is a great one to do it for because watching again from the beginning, again, where they're doing all these misdirects that are very intentional, you know. Um, I think you could actually teach a screenwriting class by starting movies in the middle and then making people watch the beginnings. <laughs> uh, here's one from Rodney Wittenberg in Philadelphia. Great musician. Um, what was the first film you remember really appreciating the score? Really appreciating the score. Um, I would think that that would probably be um, Vertigo. Ah. Um, because it's almost a musical. Yeah. Um, and then, and then once you key on to who the people are, who, the, right. you know, uh, but, but there's certain types of music that you can always tell. Um, like, like when you're a comic book, you could tell who the artists were, yeah. even if it wasn't signed because you, oh, that's, that's the guy who draws the ducks. That's your, that's good. Um, but music made a, uh, I, I think it, it really took to the Italian Western craze for people to realize how operatic music really was for action films and how uh, sometimes people went to see those movies just for the music yeah and 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 the record collections alone of people who are constantly collecting european you know western music um it just it became a uh, a trope and and you you, you see it in quentin yeah. has, been, has been building movies around themes from pictures that he remembered right very often it's funny you mentioned both of those because Bernard Herrmann and Ennio Morricone, are, I, I can't remember which one came first, but they the, easily the first two composers I ever noticed. And they are so dramatic and over the top that you can't help but noticing them. And I still, to this day, I prefer that kind of grand, orgiastic, you know, um, glorious score to, to the one that's subtle. You don't uh, like the tinkly piano stuff? I, 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 I like a score that I notice. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed you. to notice this. I know, but how do you how do you not notice an Ennio Morricone score? Um, here's a good one from a young man named Faisal Azam Qureshi in England. Um, very, very tough. I know the answer to this one. Uh, who'd win in a fight between James Bond, Derek Flint, and Matt Helm? Well, uh, first of all, James Bond would obviously win because oh. he has... Yes, yes, yes. He has a much better, you know, setup. I mean, he's got uh, he's got all the other weapons. He's got okay. Well, let's let's say hand to hand. I, I feel it's hand to hand. Let's go hand to hand. Oh, hand to hand. Oh, well, that's different. Um, uh, well, Derek Flint probably has some pretty good judo moves because because Cobring was into that stuff. Uh, I would think probably Dean Martin would be the least physical. Yeah. Well, he's a lover, league. not a fighter. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I think there's no question. For me, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's Derek Flint. Um, I, I don't think there's another answer that's acceptable. Um, here we go. Uh, oh, Eric Kane on on the Twits asks us. Uh, I'd be curious as to when you both became aware that a film had a creator, and what you were, and that what you were watching was a construction. Your first peek behind the curtain. I, I sort of, I guess, answered that with Charlie Varick, and it's sort of the. Yeah, I think for me it was, uh, and for people my age, it was, uh, it was, it was anything by Walt Disney, because you knew that there was oh, that sure, was yeah. Walt Disney presents, the and brand. whether it was a cartoon or a live action movie, he that was the creator behind it, whether right. regardless of what, even he, if he wasn't, right? Yeah, but um, and then you know, as 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 things moved on, and Alfred Hitchcock had merchandised himself into, you know, uh, a commodity. Uh, much as Cecil B. DeMille before him had done, yeah. uh, that, that that those kind of uh, ownership movies 
um, started to make people think, well, you know, these are, these, these, these are filmmakers. These are people who make film. And there were other people who were famous. You know, there was Ford and Capra and all that. But I think that not, none of them went to the length to merchandise themselves as, uh, as, as Hitchcock and... Yeah, I mean, I'm actually thinking, I hadn't thought about these in years. There were these books. What are the three investigators? Do you remember these? Alfred Hitchcock presents the three investigators, and there were these books that were kind of Hardy Boys mysteries about these three kids. I read one or two, but he was always on the cover, and he was a character that they would go to at various moments. They go, Mr. Hitchcock, we're having trouble with this with this investigation. This is new to me. Are these Hitchcock, paperbacks? Yeah, they were, at the time, they were hardcovers, like, uh, I think. Really? You know, like like Hardy Boys, Boys kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, I, I well, hadn't thought about that in a thousand years. But it always, that, I think that was my first awareness of Hitchcock was as a fictional character in books and then as a guy on TV. And then finally, oh, and he does this as well. It was like the movies were secondary to his celebrity to me. Um, but oh, yeah, the subject was, for further study. I think it's the three investigators. I hope I'm not fantasizing that. I think that really happened. If you are, I, someone will tell you. Yes. Does this ring a bell, Don? We're about the, no. Don, our engineer, looking at me like I'm crazy, too. Um, here's a question from, uh, uh, oh, I saw this on Twitter today. I was very pleased. Kevin Lahane uh, wrote a movie called Grabbers, which um, by the time you hear this will have been referenced on an episode, but he doesn't know that yet. Uh, what are some of the TV episodes that made you? Well, you know, uh, I didn't get a TV until we were, uh, until the mid-50s. So I didn't have a TV uh, in the early fifties, but when I when I did start watching TV, I watched science fiction theater, which had a, which was a dull show, but it had a lot of interesting plots. Uh, but it, but it was really the Hitchcock Hour that that th there was an episode with a, a Ray Bradbury story about the mushrooms growing in the basement, mm. which are really aliens, and the little boy at the end gives hands it out to his father and says, you know. He, it's your turn. Uh, that was that was pretty scary. And then, of course, you know, the, the building on that was the Twilight Zone, and the Twilight Zone right. episodes were all, particularly for the first two seasons, varying degrees of incredibly memorable. And they were all water cooler shows. They were things that you talked yeah. about on on Monday morning at the school bus on the way in. Everybody's, did you see? Did you see that episode of your, your school bus had a water cooler? No, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's the, yes. the refrigerator comment, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, the stuff that everybody talked about. And, it, and, and in those days, everybody would have seen it because there were only a couple of stations and yeah. everybody watched all the same yeah. stuff. Yeah, we're all united. And so there was that. a uniting thing, which doesn't happen now. Um, for me, I mean, TV shows. Yeah. I, I did not have a television growing up. I lived with my mother and then went to my father's on alternate weekends, which, um, was was great when there were things like the Night Stalker on, but terrible when you found out that the episode you were watching would be concluded next week and I would never get to see it. Um, so some of my most evocative TV memories from my youth are, are the end of the first part of it. I remember the tarantula being dropped on Maxwell Smart, just going, God damn it, I'll never see this. Um, but, but things, uh, the I Spy episode where they have to, they're being pursued by killers and they end up going back to Robert Culp's uncle played by Will Gear and his aunt and they have to fight them off with shotguns in a barn. It's an amazing, very contained episode of I Spy. Um, kind of surreal. They're, they're, it's never quite clear who these guys are. They have obviously escaped from them, some sort of cells that they had kept them in, but it's all, it's all very uh, um, unnamed. It's a great episode. And, uh, also, Demon with the Glass Hand just blew my mind as a kid. There was something about the... Um, in fact, I was just at the Bradbury Building this past weekend with my brother, who was in from out of town, and every time I go in there, it's incredibly evocative. For the uninitiated, that's uh, an episode of Outer Limits. It's an episode of Outer Limits, and the Bradbury Building is an amazing building downtown L.A. where they've shot some incredible things. It, um, uh, it, it played a movie studio with the artist, um, it's where the, the crazy old inventor lives in Blade Runner. It's been in everything. Um, the best use of it I've ever seen is in the uh, Joseph Losey remake of M. Yes, that's true. Phenomenal <laughs> use of that. But, and a great movie, too. It's a terrific movie. Shockingly good movie. Missing for years. Um, there's a Blu-ray. There's a British Blu-ray or a French Blu-ray oh, um, worth tracking down. Uh, but yeah, that stuff really... Oh, there was a Star Trek episode. I don't remember. I've seen a ton of them a million times and not this one, but there's a sparkling light out in space and it somehow possesses people and i just remember this woman she's got her mouth open and it's glowing and she's going <laughs> does this ring a bell 
No, Joe's not okay. It terrified me. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, John Ford or Sergio Leone? Well, you can't have one without the other. Yeah. <laughs> and that's about all we have time for this week. If you'd like us to answer one of your questions, just drop us a line at ask at trailersfromhell.com. And if it's not really, really irritating, we'll answer it. We might even answer it anyway. Our show was recorded in beautiful downtown Burbank. With the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the movies that made me. For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories that when sewn together form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood. Available now wherever you get podcasts.